0: Dave, come on up. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Dr. David uh, Roberts. Uh, Dave was an OBGYN uh, here in Columbus for many, 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 many years. Uh, When uh, he retired, him and his dear wife Cindy uh, moved to uh, Montana, where they make their residence uh, there. Uh, But prior to his conversion to Christ, uh, Dr. Roberts performed... Uh, abortions in his practice and as a result of his conversion he uh, dramatically reversed his position and as I shared with the conference attendees on Friday night he became the greatest pro-life champion in the medical community that I have ever met and uh, he's a wonderful wonderful man of God he's very instrumental in the early days of our ministry as we were starting our pregnancy center here in Uh, Columbus. He has stayed involved in this ministry. He's working for a pregnancy center right now out in Montana. And so uh, you welcome uh, Dr. Dave Roberts as he comes to share his testimony. Amen.
1: I bring you greetings from Montana. where occasionally it snows. That by the way is pretty close to our home and the snow is 25 feet deep. Come see us. It's a great pleasure to be here. This is the place where I came to the Lord. This is the place where God gave me convictions for the first time in my life Uh, This is the place where I met my wife. Uh, This place means a lot to me. Uh, I thought I was a Christian. In fact, I had been uh, the youth director at a church. I'd been asked to be the president of a congregation of a church. And I turned them down because I knew that I really didn't believe that stuff. Um, that was during the time that I first became involved with the subject of abortion. Uh, I thought abortion was wrong, that it should be illegal, and uh, during my residency the state of South Carolina did what many states did, and that is they passed a law saying that abortion would be legal for reasons of the health of the mother. So what happened at the medical college of South Carolina was that uh, women who wanted abortion would come to the GYN clinic and the receptionist would send them up to the psychiatry office. And they'd all sit in a big waiting room. Somebody would pass a sheet around with everyone's name, then pretty soon they would get a sheet of paper back saying or Mrs. So-and-so needs an abortion for reasons of mental health and they would carry that down to the clinic, and we would schedule them for an abortion. The load was so heavy that even though I thought it was wrong, I began to help my friends. In time, I began to believe that abortion was, uh, was a good thing, that I was helping people, uh, that women's lives were better because I was there. And as Francis Schaeffer said, that which you consider to be wrong today without an absolute standard of right or wrong, you will accept tomorrow and in time you will practice and eventually you will try to legislate. And I even gave uh, some speeches around the state of South Carolina about how important it was to expand abortion services so that the... uh, the people of the state would not be saddled with the expense of raising uh, a bunch more illegitimate children. When I moved to Columbus to start my practice, abortion was uh, a part of it. And financially it was an important part. Once I began to uh, compromise on the subject of abortion, I began to compromise in many other areas. And my life began a downhill spiral. I reached a point that all I could think of was suicide. I had some property out on Biggers Road with a big boulder overlooking a creek. And I had decided that I'd take my pistol, go out, sit on that boulder, and that's where I would end it. But I thought I would give one last chance to the possibility of getting some help. And I didn't want to see a psychiatrist because I didn't want anyone in the medical community knowing that I had a problem. (laughs) Like I was the only person in the medical community with a problem. (laughs) But I I heard of this pastor that did a lot of counseling. So I made an appointment with David Howell at Edgewood Baptist Church. David, are you here? Okay. Okay. David Howe was the worst counselor that ever existed. He had absolutely no interest in any of my problems. He was interested in only one thing and that was my problem. I didn't know the Lord. And he presented the gospel to me. Now I had I had Told people about Jesus as I worked with youth groups before. I'd heard all that stuff. But until that moment, it never meant anything. Now, never before in my life had I ever cried. And my father had given me plenty of opportunities to cry. But... I spent about an hour on my knees crying that day and I've cried ever since. Maybe I caught it from Brother David. (laughs) And I left there not really knowing what had happened. But I had peace. And a funny thing started happening. I had this overwhelming desire to read the Bible. and. I looked forward to the days and nights that I was stuck up in labor and delivery waiting on women to have babies because I could go in sit down and use the Gideon's Bible and read. And I read the Bible every free second. And God began to bring convictions. Now I want somebody to stick their fingers in Andy Merritt's ears (laughs) because he's liable to get a big head after what I say okay one Sunday evening I guess David you must have been gone somewhere a crazy young associate pastor got up and gave a sermon on the subject of abortion and I wrote down every single scripture reference because I knew that he was wrong And I knew that I was helping women. And I went home that night to read all those references. I had me a piece of paper and I was going to put together my case so I could come back and prove to Andy Merritt that he didn't know what he was talking about. And I became convicted. And yes, Andy, sometimes people listen to your sermons. <laughs> and sometimes it affects their life. The next morning I went into the office and I told my receptionist, well, let me back up. That was a difficult night. I, Like everybody else, I can spend more money than I can make. And I was already having financial problems. And I, I knew that I had to stop doing abortions, but if I did, I might even go bankrupt. And I tried to argue with God all night long about why I could not stop. And finally, I got on my knees and I said, God, if I go bankrupt, then I go bankrupt, but I'm going to stop. So I went into the office and I told my receptionist that if I had anybody scheduled for an abortion, call them and tell them that they'd have to get someone else to do it. That if anyone called... That if anyone called wanting to see me about an abortion, that she was to tell them that Dr. Roberts didn't do abortions. She got up out of her chair... Gave me a hug and said, You don't know how long I've been praying for this moment. And guess what? That was my best month financially that I ever had in my practice. I spent every free moment in the operating room. People were coming from who knows where. Um, And God blessed me. It wasn't long after that that I saw the power of prayer. And I saw it in a way that I never expected to see it. I happened to find out that the city's property tax money was being used to pay for abortions. Now, because I volunteered my time and had for a number of years uh, worked a a GYN cancer clinic for indigent patients, uh, the department didn't require me to be involved in the abortion clinic that they set up at the hospital. Uh, and so it was kind of a peripheral thing that I didn't pay much attention to. But I found out that that the taxpayers were having to pay for abortions to be done, and I thought that was wrong. I got together with Banks Carroll and Mike Sims, and we talked about it and talked with uh, Andy. And then we went to uh, a councilman. Named Wells. What's his first name? Yeah, John Wells. We knew John was a Christian. And John said he would draw up an ordinance that would ban the city from being able to uh, spend tax money on abortions. Well, the day came for him to present that ordinance to the city council. We had the place packed out. And... John presented, a number of us spoke, Andy spoke, Uh, each of the doctors I mentioned spoke, some others did too, and then the council voted 11 to 1 to continue funding abortions. Well, I was devastated, and every one of us was devastated, and we left not knowing what to do. And I kept hearing people say that there were women's groups around this city that were meeting to pray about this subject. And, uh, you know, I I didn't think much about that. And I kept praying, Lord, show me what I can do. This is wrong. If there's anything I can do, please show me. I want to do something. And the more I'd pray, the more God didn't show me anything. And I was starting to get frustrated with him because he wasn't listening to me. And then one day I was stuck in labor and delivery and it happened to be the wrong day because in hospitals every two years each department has to vote and elect somebody to be chairman of the department. Now you think that's an honor. That's not an honor. That means that you have to go to meetings just about every night, do all sorts of paperwork, and it's, it's the last thing that you would ever want to happen to you. So I had made it a point always never to miss that meeting so that I could put somebody else's name up and, <laughs> and they could get stuck. But I was caught. I was up in labor and delivery, and uh, I got elected chairman of the department. A week later, by the way, David, I can't quit crying. It's all your fault. (laughs) Um, A week or so later, I got a call from the uh, assistant administrator at the hospital. And I knew him well. His wife worked for me. And he called and he said, David, I I need to ask you to do me a favor. I said, what's that? I'll try. He said, "Um, you know that abortion clinic that we have? Nobody's coming to it anymore. And and he said, you know, we've got a whole wing of the fourth floor of the hospital set aside for second term trimester abortions and late term abortions and nobody's getting those done anymore and he said it's costing us a fortune to staff that clinic and to staff that unit around the clock and we can't handle that the city was paying us but we're not having any of those abortions and we're not getting anything and and we need your help I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we need to close it, but you're chairman of the department, and we can't close it without your permission. I said, do you know who I am? He said, yes. I said, do you know my stand on abortion? He said, of course I do. I said... uh, Well, then why did you call me? He said, I've got to have your permission. I said, well, you've got it. (laughs) And so it closed. And guess why God hadn't shown me anything to do? He had done it. (laughs) And why had he done it? First of all, it was in his will. And secondly, people were praying. And I want to bring that out for all of you that are working in crisis pregnancy centers. Don't forget the power of prayer. Since then, I've had the opportunity to speak. I haven't gotten to California yet, but I've spoken in a lot of parts of this country on the subject of abortion. And the one thing that I always remind people of is if we've had 55 million babies killed by abortion, we've probably got at least 35 million women whose lives have been devastated by abortion. We've probably got, what, 30 million men? And believe it or not, men go through great despair over that subject. And I tell pastors and I tell the congregations, that you know God has forgiven me and if you've had an abortion or if you've been involved in the life of someone having an abortion God's waiting with open arms to forgive you and that's where the healing comes from and if I'm speaking to anyone here who has had an abortion done or who has encouraged a woman to have an abortion done and you've been holding that in, just remember, God forgave me, he wants to forgive you. Okay? And speak with someone, speak with Andy, speak with me, speak with anybody, but don't carry that burden any longer. Now, I feel inclined, and I told Andy that I kept praying as I came down here. And the one thing that kept coming to mind doesn't have anything to do with the subject of abortion. But if you will look in your Bibles, and I would encourage you to do it, and go to the second chapter of John. Now, in the second chapter of John, you see the story of the wedding at Cana. And everybody knows the story of the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. But the part that interests me is the people that, in the Bible that don't even get named. They're so insignificant. Okay? It's the servants. Now, as we look at this, we see that on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of the wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what does this Concern have to do with me my hour has not yet come actually I like the David Roberts translation which says oh mom <laughs> because I think that really is more what Jesus meant and then look at the next line his mother did what all mothers do she ignored him And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And so Jesus told them to get water. Now those containers were about 60 gallons. So those guys made a lot of trips back and forth with a jug of water filling those things up. And that doesn't seem like a very religious act. You, you you, don't get your name on the billboards as being the man of the year for carrying a jug of water. But because they did it, they were privileged to be a part of a great miracle. Now, in this church, right now, I'm convinced that there are some of you that God's been talking to for a long time and you know who you are and that there's something that in a very quiet voice that just doesn't want to go away he's wanting you to do something maybe it seems pretty insignificant like carrying a jug of water But my admonition to you is in the same words that Mary said, Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Okay?
0: Uh, you conference attendees now, you can uh, take out your session notes, you can fold them and just put them in your Bible. Uh, There's no way we're going to be able to uh, cover that uh, session, Uh, but I so appreciated what Dr. Roberts shared, so appreciated the uh, investment he made in the early days of our Pregnancy Center ministry. We literally, you know, I shared that with you about our early history how it was his office that actually ran the pregnancy test for us. So uh, without his assistance, without his involvement, uh, we could never have begun in those uh, earliest uh, years. And then he always was our greatest uh, supporter uh, from the very beginning uh, to this uh, very day. Uh, CJ, just forget the PowerPoint. Uh, But I have 15 minutes, and I I do want to stay on uh, what the topic of this morning would have been. For those of you that have not been a part of the conference, our focus has been on five uh, guarantees uh, when doing pregnancy center work. We've focused on Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, uh, they were given the task to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that had been destroyed Uh, many years prior by the uh, Babylonians when they came in and conquered uh, God's people because of their sin and then led them away uh, to captivity. And it's just an amazing story of how they uh, came together as one, as they united, and they accomplished this um, incredible feat in the short span of 52 days. And, And out of that fourth chapter, we've already seen that uh, you can bank on it, that opposition is going to be what? Innumerable. And we've also seen that discouragement is going to be what? Inevitable. But praise God, last night we saw that God is invincible. And then the fourth guarantee that you see, and that's where we just want to focus in these brief moments uh, that we have, is that unity is indomitable. Now, you may not be familiar with that word, but it simply means it's impossible to defeat. It's impossible to subdue. And reality is, whenever God's people unite under His Lordship to follow Him, we are invincible. Because what? He is invincible. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, these would have been the verses I would have focused in on um, Nehemiah said to the nobles, uh, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, he noticed, he said, the work, listen, the work is great and is extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another, so at whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Now, you attendees, you can readily see the application uh, to our ministries, Uh, As we've talked all weekend, we have literally, by God's grace, built a wall of pregnancy centers around our nation. And the purpose of that wall is to uphold not only the sanctity of life, but belief in God as the basis for the worth of human life. And to also proclaim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And that Jesus' grace is there to forgive and to restore and to change. Uh, there are thousands of pregnancy centers uh, scattered throughout the nation, in every state of the country, but we are separated from one another. The work is extensive. It is great. And what? There are times when we need, to what, rally together like we've done this weekend, uh, to focus on our Savior, on our Lord, the one who is invincible. Uh, To renew our relationship with Him and to go back to our ministries, what? Revived and restored. Uh, And unity within our individual ministries is absolutely indispensable among our boards, among our staff and our volunteers. Listen to this great quote from uh, 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 Gerard Frost. The reason mountain climbers are tied together, is to keep the sane ones from going home. I'll let that sink in just a moment. The reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the sane ones from going home. And then he went on, I don't know who said that or when or where. But I've chuckled over it, thought about it, and quoted it too. With a mountain of mercy behind me and a mountain of mission ahead, I need you, my sister, my brother. I need to be tied to you and you to me too. We need each other to keep from bolting, fleeing in panic. And returning to unbelief. Wise words, whoever said them, I've placed them in my Bible. They are my, Hezekiah chapter 6, verse 14. Attendees, we need one another. We desperately need one another. And we desperately need God's grace to know unity, not only in our individual ministries, but within the movement itself. Please take your Bibles and just for the few moments I have, turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. And there's just simply two truths I want you to see in this psalm that uh, beautifully depicts God's blessing on unity. Psalm 133, the psalmist wrote, this is a psalm of David. He said, Behold, behold, how good. And how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. When we can know unity in the midst of our diversity, when we can know a love greater than our differences that bind us as one in the family of God. And verse 2, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of Of his robes. And I especially want you to notice verse 3. He says, It is like the dew of Hermon. What is the it in verse 3? Unity. Unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there, where? Wherever God's people dwell in unity, there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Now, the first truth is simply this. According to this psalm, where has God commanded His blessing? Very obvious. Wherever His people dwell together in unity. But, beloved, don't miss the other side of the coin. Where God's people are divided, God withholds His blessing. And a pregnancy center, a ministry, a church will then become a barren wilderness that withers and dies. And that's why we are exhorted in Ephesians 4, 3 that we are to be diligent. And that word diligent, it's a very powerful word in the Greek text. It means with holy zeal and passion. You're to give your entire being to this. To what? To preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Jesus Christ, through His death, broke down all the dividing walls. And He has united us as one body under His Lordship. There's nothing we can do to create it. We're called upon to preserve it. But sadly, we can do a lot to what? Destroy it. And do you realize, attendees, and especially the leadership that are here, Do you realize how important unity is to your ministry, among your board, among your staff, among your volunteers? Do we realize how important unity is to the movement nationwide? You know, uh, this is sadly illustrated in a true story, amazingly true story, of a, a very young minister who uh, became pastor of an old, uh, struggling church in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, This young man came to the church with great hopes, with tremendous enthusiasm, with wonderful energy. And he was confident, just absolutely confident, that as he trusted God, as he ministered, that God would revive the church, would renew the church, And uh, God would use the church to have an impact there in that community. So that young pastor, he gave his best effort week after week for several years. But that church remained divided, complacent, and just content with the status quo. The minister's words just fell on deaf ears and hard hearts. Week after week. Then one Saturday, he put in the local newspaper an obituary for the church that had died. And in that obituary was the announcement that on Sunday afternoon, there would be a funeral service at the church itself for all those who wanted to. To attend, you can imagine what happened. For the first time in years, the place was packed. They they, they said they could not even get everybody inside. People outside peering through the windows. Uh, they were just uh, on their tiptoes. Just what in the world's going on here? And to their to their shock, when they showed up. Uh, there was a casket right there at, at the front of the sanctuary, just smothered with, with flowers. Well, as the pastor began his eulogy for the church, he shared that when he finished his eulogy that they could pass by and view the remains of their dearly beloved uh, that they were putting to rest that day. So the, the, the people could hardly wait for this young man to finish his message. They didn't hear a word that he said. Uh, they, they wanted them to finish where they could uh, see what was, was going to happen. Well, when he concluded his eulogy, he uh, slowly opened the casket. As he removed, pushed back the, the flowers. And the people began to simply walk by. One by one. And as they each looked inside the casket, they bowed their head. And you could tell they were immediately hit with guilt and shame and regret as they walked on by. And you ask why? Because that young pastor had placed in the casket a large mirror so as they walked by they could see the church that had died when a pregnancy center dies when any ministry dies when a church dies it is not because of lack of financial and material resources. All of that is just symptomatic of a deeper problem. A pregnancy center, a ministry, a church withers and dies when its members forget the purpose for which God created them. And that purpose is to love one another as Christ loved us. That provides our credibility That demonstrates what? The authenticity of our Christianity. Before there can be a credible verbalization of the truth, there has to be a clear what? Visualization of God's truth in our lives. Jesus said, by your what? Love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. He said in John 17, as you are perfected in unity, it will be through that unity, that display of harmony, That display of a love greater than your differences. A love that unites you in your diversity. That is the thing that's going to catch the world's attention. That's going to bring the world to belief in me that the Father sent the Son. And then it's that same love that thrusts us to what? Reads a lost world. That is our purpose. Amen? That's the purpose of our pregnancy centers. That's the purpose of our churches. To love one another is board, staff, volunteers. And then to be thrust out to love a lost world, to love our clients. To see these little ones saved from the slaughter of abortion, to have the opportunity to know their God-given destiny. Now look at the second truth that I want you to notice. And that is that unity creates an oasis in the life of a barren world. This is the most beautiful aspect of this psalm. In verse 3, he said, Unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountain, mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon, this is a beautiful, beautiful truth and illustration. Mount Hermon is an anomaly. It's the highest mountain peak in the Middle East. And it is, it is located in the middle of a region that is totally dry and barren. I mean, it is just a wilderness that knows nothing but the kiss of death. But Mount Hermon itself is one of the most fertile regions in the entire world. I mean, the slopes of that mountain are green with plant life and, growth and animal life. It it is just literally this beautiful oasis in the middle of this desert area. And you say, how can that possibly be? And the answer is the dew of Hermans. Because of the height of the mountain, the mountain stays snow-capped year-round. And that creates atmospheric conditions where every morning there are plentiful dews that fall along the slopes of that mountain. And dew like we have never seen here in the States. It's like there's been a torrential downpour of rain each and every day. And the psalmist is saying in verse 3, unity is like the dew of Hermon. When your boards are When you're staff, when you're volunteers, when they're coming together in unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ, where you truly love one another and you know harmony, God tells you, I'm going to bring the dew of my presence down upon you. I'm going to bring the dew of my life, my love, and I'm going to command my blessing upon your ministry. I'm going to transform your ministry into an oasis of life for those who are starved and dying in a lost world. Starved for true love. Starved for true, meaningful relationships. And void of Jesus and the life that he offers. Unity, therefore. Unity, unity, unity among your board, staff, and volunteers. That is what's going to determine whether your pregnancy center becomes a life-giving oasis or a dry, barren wilderness. Uh, This needs to be talked about a lot more. This is an area that's too often neglected in our ministries and in our churches, and we cannot neglect it any longer. As Nehemiah said, the work is extensive and we are separated, and so we do need times to rally together. And in those times, to maintain Jesus is our first love, to reconcile and renew our love for one another, to know his blessing. And let me just finish with this this is a a burden, a dream that God's put on my heart. This is the first time I've ever shared this publicly. I've just held it close to my heart for the last two years. But this is a burden, a dream I have that I'd love to see within the pregnancy center movement. And there are some places in the country where this is happening uh, today. Uh, The state of Florida with uh, what Mary Lou Hendry has done uh, through the uh, Baptist Children's Home there in Florida is a great example. And then there are others. I know Kentucky is... uh, doing this, and there are other places, but my dream would be that we would establish whatever you want to call it, a stand a gap rally, whatever, for every state in the country where once a year, all the pregnancy centers in that state, for example, if it was Georgia, or Alabama, once a year, all of the pregnancy centers in that state would come together. And I believe we could find pro life churches. And pro life churches that would be big enough that have the resources to make this happen and where it wouldn't be a financial burden on those that attend, very similar to what we do here. And the purpose would not be to equip. Thank God for CareNet. Thank God for Heartbeat. Their conferences are doing an incredible job in terms of equipping the movement, equipping your ministries. The purpose of these statewide rallies, my dream would be in every state of the union, would be for one purpose and one purpose only Jesus. Jesus. The importance of coming together to maintain Jesus as our first love. Jesus is our first priority. And then to focus on unity, loving one another within our centers, loving one another as a movement. And then we could continue every other year or if we want to make it once a year. Then all of us come together like we've done this weekend for the very same purpose. That's my dream. That's my burden. And I throw that out there uh, for you pregnancy centers that are here. Uh, If you would be burdened in the same way, if you'd be interested, I'm just letting you know I'd be willing to do anything to assist facilitating that to happen in your state. I'd be willing to do anything to assist you and to work with you to facilitate that happening in your state. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I think that that could have a tremendous impact upon the movement. I've gone over. And they're going to be mad at me downstairs because they have the dinner ready. I think uh, church family and other guests, you understand this is a very special weekend. So uh, in just a second, I'll dismiss us. Uh, we won't have our traditional uh, invitation, but I trust God has worked. And, of course, any and all of us are available to you to minister in any way. Uh, instructions for? Okay. If I would have known that, I would just kept on, Jennifer. Okay, okay. Uh, Jennifer said for you conference attendees, you would really help out. When we dismiss, it's uh, right at 10 after now. If you could stay here another 10 minutes. They need you to sort of hold in the sanctuary for at least another 10 minutes till 1220. And then make your way downstairs and be seated uh, there in uh, in the fellowship hall. And then I think you're aware of your schedule. You have lunch. And then after lunch, you have free time, although the, our pregnancy center is open for any that would like to visit from 1.30 to 3 o'clock. And then the first session back here is 3.30. And then the evening service, which is a session, but the church family is invited. is what time? 6.30 tonight. 6.30, where my family will be leading in praise and worship. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, together. And then the pizza blast. And the pizza blast is for the conference attendees, the church family, People from off the streets, whoever you can drag in, uh, we'll be glad to feed them pizza. We love you. Let me close in prayer, and this will serve as the dismissal. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done in our hearts and lives this weekend. And Father, there's been much truth that you have awakened in our hearts. There's much truth that you have planted there. And, Father, we know when we leave here, uh, we will come under attack. And we will have the opportunity to prove that truth as we put our confidence and our faith in you. And I pray by your grace and by your mercy, you would let that truth by the power of your Holy Spirit blossom in our hearts. And as it blossoms, that Jesus would come alive in our hearts as never before. That Jesus would live in and through us. That Jesus would live in and through our ministries. That we might continue to be used of you to accomplish your purposes. And so, Father, I pray your great anointing upon each of the Pregnancy Center ministries here this weekend. Father, I pray your protective covering over them from the snares and the traps and the attacks of our enemy. O Lord, give them the grace not to be ignorant of his schemes, but to resist him firm in their faith. And as they follow you, to be able to circumvent those snares and those traps. And Lord, help us also to realize that one of his primary avenues of attack is coming through the back door by bringing disruption and division among our, our, our own team. So Lord, convict where conviction needs to be. And where there is aught against one another, Lord, may we know the power of the cross reconciling us to one another. Uh, to bring harmony and unity among our staff, among our boards, among our volunteers. And then, Lord, continue to provide for these wonderful ministries. That they would know not only financial provision, uh, provision but the people resources they need to accomplish the work that you've called them to. God, stir up the churches and their community uh, to see the value of this work. To get behind them. Uh, as they are simply an extension of the local churches that are in their areas. Uh, and so, Lord, bless there. But most important, Lord, continue to purify our hearts and our lives. Let us never lose sight of the fact that there is no more important ingredient in ministry than our personal relationship with you. Nothing more important than maintaining Jesus at our first love. Because it is out of that relationship That we become plugged into His person, plugged into His power. To accomplish His plans. And Lord, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, use these ministries to save many little ones from the slaughter of abortion. And then, Father, target those little ones that are being saved by our ministries. Bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Raise them up to be instruments in Your hands to accomplish Your purposes. And we pray this so that these little ones... Would be shown as trophies of your grace throughout all eternity. And that it would resound to the praise and the glory of your grace. And then Lord, let there be that anointing upon these ministries. That many of these women, their boyfriends and others would come to know the saving grace of Jesus. Never to be the same again. And then Lord, in the process, teach us to love. Teach us to love as Christ loved. Teach us to love one another, teach us to love our clients, teach us to love a lost world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.